Hey guys, this is Dan, the video brother. And this is Bill, the photo brother. And we are the Rail Brothers. You're listening to our podcast, Stack Talk. And uh, where we talk about big trains, small trains, old trains, new trains, and everything in between. This is episode number four. We're going to talk about chases and how we plan chases, how we figure out what we're doing. And also talk about some of the latest news. Um, so on that note, let's just get into the news segment. Sure. That's we have news, great sound effects that's here. That's the news segment. Great sound, sound effects. effects. Yeah. Well, actually, maybe retroactively, I could put in a great sound effect. So, we'll have to figure out what that is. Um, no, so I think it's just going to be you going. Yeah, that sounds like that sounds like SOS symbol. So we're not, we're not. Yeah, that's not the news. Is SOS or QD, whatever the hell the old one was. Anyway, so uh, we have quite a few things going on. Maybe we should work backwards from this. So we got the CSX Heritage units. I think we've got a few out now. We've there's been the and they're kind of controversial. So, uh, Billy, what is your uh, hot take on the CSX Heritage units? I don't think I really have a hot take on them. I like them. I think they're interesting. Um, I can understand why some people don't like them because especially with like most people when they're taking a photo of a train and stuff like that, they're taking the photo of like majority of it is the front of the train. So when the front of the train just says CSX, while the re- the back of the train is a different part, it makes it hard on, you know, rail photographers and rail fans that way. But I yeah. think it's a really from a marketing right. perspective, I think it's a really cool look of it and being like it kind of integrates the like current branding of CSX with their previous brands that they had. Uh, yeah. So from a marketing perspective, I think it's really Good. cool. So, CSX, um, so so Union Pacific has done heritage units. NS did heritage units. They both did them like 10 years ago at this point, right? I think something like that. They would like I did think BNSF UP did them ever, first, I think. Did BNSF ever do any? I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think they have. And then so CSX is a little bit late to the game here cuz I think these other two like did it like 10 years ago, which is actually kind of crazy to think about. And the other two ones, it was more straight cut where they would just paint an entire locomotive totally in an old scheme from a, a railroad that they had bought out or absorbed. Whereas for CSX I guess trying to be a little bit different and maintain their excellent brandage of two colors with their their their, their name. Yeah. Paints the front uh, of the unit just as they regularly would, and then on a sort of diagonal with this like spray transition goes to the old heritage units. So I've seen what, what there's Chessie System, there's B and O, there's did I see Seaboard came out at this point? Uh yes, Seaboard. Seaboard. Anyone else? Was there another one that came out? Did you say Conrail? I didn't. Oh, they did the Conrail, yeah. Chessie and, yeah, Chessie, uh, yeah. and uh, Chesapeake and Ohio. They have five out now. Oh, they did like. a C&O one. I haven't mm-hmm. seen that. I need to check. What was that? What was that look at least, like? I think at least five, according to the, this me quickly Googling, because Danny doesn't do that when he puts the thing on here. He doesn't actually put any of the research on it. just says, talk about heritage units. Talk about it, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, just assuming you know that we know this stuff. That's all right. So, your hot take is you're kind of okay with it, but a lot of so a lot of rail fans don't like it because it's. Um, I think I most know, rail fans like what like what NS and UP did, where they yeah, basically the tried unit. to use the the whole unit. Um, but I see it from a layperson's perspective that doesn't really know much about trains. Those engines just look like it's from another railroad. 
It yeah. doesn't yeah. say it's Norfolk Southern at all. It doesn't say it's Union Pacific necessarily. This one tells you it's a CSX train, but look, we used to be like the LNN or we used to be Conrail. You remember that 20 years ago? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it uh, visually is showing how it's they, they kind of incorporated it with this. Exactly. Still I think part it's part of the heritage of CSX. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a really cool way of doing the visual it. Visual storytelling is all right. It's As I said, I think rail fans mainly, like, I think it's funny because they had that one unit that ended up getting um, vandalized. Um, by, oh, it was like a jeep or something. With it was the, a, with, old. It was a jeep or something like that that got vandalized, so the hood of it became like a chassis system. unit. Yeah. So it was kind of the reverse of it. And I feel like rail fans would have liked that better. As I said, I think it a hundred percent comes down to when you're taking a three quarter wedgie shot, it shows off the heritage part of it versus it being CSX. I'm positive about that yeah. <laughs> like i like i feel that like i get it i'm a photographer with it like it's you like mean it oh, shows that's off the csx part not the not, not the, the cool part that cool you part. that the photographer cares about not the unique yeah. part about the engine um yeah so, so i think conceptually it's a really good idea i think where the problem lies is that the you know these are all very different paint schemes in relation to the csx one right so some of them, I think, are more successful than others. So the Baltimore or Ohio one, I think, is kind of unsuccessful because I, I don't know if any of you have ever, like, I, I remember I would, like, put my outfits together and I always get yelled at because I have, like, different blues on. I don't know if that's a thing, but the difference of the CSX blue to the Baltimore and Ohio blue really bothers me. And since there's no other colors going on, you know, it's this clashing of these different blues that I really don't like. But then other paint schemes, like I think the Chessie system one looks great because all those colors I think are pretty harmonious with the CSX colors. Um, I think the CNO one looks pretty good too. It's just the Baltimore, like if there's like something that's not different enough for it to really stand out, I think it, the, the concept isn't as strong. No, I, I get that. Like, yeah. yeah, color theory with it. Like, I think the Conrail one actually looks fairly decent yeah, um, with it. Um, but as I said, I think the blues are different enough that it works. Yeah, it's it's a very different blue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all right. But I think you're right. I think the Chessie one probably is probably the best Chessie looking one, looks one great, out of them. In my opinion, the B&O one a little little iffy. Just because of those blues, I think clash. It's like it's just that we, I don't know something something yeah. about it. All right, so let's keep moving on this. Otherwise, yeah. we're going to talk so, about this for a whole episode. Um. Where are we at? We went. Uh, You're going backwards. So I guess I'm going backwards. Yeah. Are we going to? You want to talk about the big boy and pusher service? Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Uh, at this point, it was kind of older. But if you guys haven't checked out this particular video, I uh, made this. I made this outline like two months ago. We were supposed <laughs> to record this like two months ago. But then life got in the way, and other trains got in the way. I guess. That's true. So yeah, got in the way. let's see here. So big, well, big boys like in Kansas or something. It was going somewhere, I think, for the either is a little league World Series or like the um, the college, whatever the, like the highest baseball game in college is. It was going there to be like sort of a a press thing, and I guess it got stuck. Big boy, you know, Union Pacific big boy forty fourteen was stuck behind some sort of freight train is that and then the freight train stalled on a grade 
they and they you know radioed in for we need backup i mean they didn't say that but um big boy was right there and they got the go ahead and they you know popped on the back of it and just shoved it up a hill and i think i saw looks like it's in nebraska nebraska arlington nebraska arlington nebraska and this video you so i saw big boy in was it 2019 around chicago from chicago to iowa and you know big boy's this gigantic engine uh typically it's going with another diesel which kind of lightly shoves it it's probably for also braking purposes and the, the train typically you know maybe it's 10 cars long of kind of lightweight passenger cars big boy was designed to push 100 cars up uh sherman hill you know like gigantic train super heavy big grade this passenger consist i i didn't hear any stack talk at all my whole time it definitely is loud it makes a lot of noises stack talk not, not the particular stack talk if you listen to episode three i'm very into that is not the case here this thing it hooks up to the back of it and it just puts down power and um i'm very jealous of all those folks that got to see that that would be one of the best steam shows in the world uh and it is, you can definitely tell it's putting down power because it it has some wheel slip, slip going on. I forget if it was like the, the front engine or the rear engine breaks loose at one point and they're on top of it. And even the, the guy who's, who's stoking the thing with the oils on top of it so it's not blowing out a bunch of oil. And it just put down the power, pushed this thing up the hill, and you can hear the thing going. It is, it is crank up the volume on those and just enjoy. It's pretty cool. So I'm hoping that maybe there'll be some sort of other event where Big Boy is able to be pushed into more physical labor, if you will. Uh, like, I know American President Line sponsored the Challenger uh, to pull a double stack, like, in Wyoming. It'd be awesome if there was some, some something like that that could happen again to see Big Boy doing what it's designed to do. Because we, we had the, the fortune to see 2102 do that, and it was really cool. So 2102 had a bunch of cool cars. Anyway, so that was a pretty cool bit of news. Any thoughts yeah. on that? Truthfully, I'm not sure if it's ever going to actually anything like that will happen right now. They really like to baby that big boy. So truthfully, I'm surprised that they actually did that. They must have been in a quite a bind getting something else there. Because uh, from what I've you know understood is that they like the baby, you know, they put a lot of money into it. They don't want to really like uh, having it push that much stuff and can kind of damage the engine a decent amount. So, um, you know, or at least chance it. So, yeah, but uh, well, yeah, I, as I said, never, I think, never I think never. it's awesome. And, and, yeah, you know, never is a long time. So, um, yeah, what was it? If you asked me 10 years ago that, that we wouldn't have would, would we'd, big boy, there wouldn't be, be a big service? boy. Yeah, no, yeah. we would have said no. Uh, so I'd say you're maybe, crazy. Something will happen. Other thing, uh, so SEPTA has actually had a few crazy things happen the last month. There's been four crashes. Now, I think most of them involved. What? Most of them have involved buses, which we don't care about on this. Well, I care. I care about buses. but So if you haven't figured it out already, Danny lives in Philadelphia, so you're going to hear a lot about SEPTA, and no one else cares about it. <laughs> no, this this is crazy. Have you did I not talk, talk I about I literally this? have not heard anything about oh, SEPTA recently. Holy hell. So... Other than, like, I think they're almost done with uh, PCC cars. Yeah, the PCC cars are coming out soon. Um, they look. This is, like, their third time getting renovated, so that's, that's yeah, really nice. Yeah, so that's the only thing are, I really know about. Those like, are, those are old trolleys that were, you know, some of them manufactured in 1948. 
but they run on the 15 trolley typically. But the cool thing with the, with the SEPTA system, and this actually links in with what happened, is it's all connected together. There's, you know, you can get from the 15, like the 15 trolleys actually go down into like southwest Philly to some trolley houses, trolley barns down there to, to be um, worked on and whatnot. So at one of these trolley barns, they were doing some work on a K car, a Kawasaki trolley. And I guess the brakes somehow got uh, disabled or something. So oh, there's wow. a guy in it working on it. And then all of a sudden, it starts like rolling down the hill backwards, rolls out of the trolley barn, rolls onto a street, starts speeding up down a hill. Uh, and then at what? the bottom of the hill is there's this junction, and and at the other end of the junction is this really old like 1700s like bar like old cottage, like stone building from the 1700s. That's like part of a historical society runs it and everything. And the freaking thing is careening down the hill at 40 miles an hour, smashes in the cars, goes through this like it's a T intersection, right? And mm-hmm. it just jumps the track at the T intersection and plows into this like. 250 year old house and this artist who's living there this artist in residence is taking care of it luckily she wasn't in the living room at the time but she was like right next to it and all of a sudden there's a freaking trolley in her living room luckily the house didn't totally collapse luckily as far as I know she wasn't hurt the guy inside the trolley just imagine that being the person inside the trolley and it starts there's a guy inside it yeah it starts going backwards and the brakes aren't working you're like oh my god Like, remember when we were in the parking lot of Pennington Market and I let the brakes go and you rolled out? Except I guess he probably couldn't roll out. Like, Yeah, that's anyway, crazy. So I thought that was crazy. I think it's kind of newsworthy. Um, so SEPTA needs to put some better safeguards in for that because it could have been a lot worse and they're really lucky no one died. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully, and, and, and I think the FRA, the federal, not, oh, it would be the Federal Transit Authority, FTA. I think they came down kind of hard and, and they had to in, implement like emergency safety training because there's that and then like three other bus crashes all happened in the same week in, in like August. Mm. So kind of craziness. So that was something. But on the, the good news for SEPTA trolleys is they've announced the, a contract for the, the new trolleys in West Philly, which is going to very much impact my life. Um, and they look pretty cool. They're going to be... They're going to be these big articulated uh, units, um, and so that's part of the trolley improvements. And I think they look kind of nice. I think the paint scheme that's shown in the renderings is kind of attractive. Very modern. Very So it's a low-floor trolley, so accessibility is going to be a big thing with that. Um, they're going to be higher capacity. Um, so it's really going to transform transit in Philly and West Philly in particular. So excited about that, but it's going to be years and years before this thing's together because they have to rebuild the stations to actually give them like real platforms. So right now it's just a street and you like walk down on the street. Um, but it's going to be a big difference because the trolleys we have now are very old school, right? Like they're basically the same form factor that they've been since like 120 years ago. Yeah. You step up into the thing. It's got bells. It goes ding, ding. This one's going to be the future. So it's not going to go ding, ding. It's probably going to have one of those electronic bells is my guess, which is. What the <sighs> fuck? I'm out. Very disappointing. <laughs> Done. Yeah. Don't need yeah. that shit. Give me ding ding. <laughs> Remember the children, Billy. The children. This is about ding ding. The children support me. <laughs> and the children get it. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the funny thing with the rendering is it's clearly on the Gerard Bridge, but it's showing the Sharon Hill trolley, which doesn't run there. 
Whatever. Maybe it's just demonstrating. Very funny. It's gonna be, Very funny. Everyone's hilarious. laughing. That's my. Yeah, it's hilarious. That's my, that's my sense of humor. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Other big thing is the RER in Montreal opened up. That's just at least right now the the newest metro line in north in any of the Americas. I think. Uh, pretty big deal for Montreal. It's a, if I recall correctly, it's like a fully automated, um, fully automated electric rapid transit. Oh, REM, sorry, REM, not RER. RER you should really like double check these things before, <laughs> before problem. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a pretty they're they're uh, it's a nice it's it's an interesting system. There's been a lot of back and forth in the transit communities about it. Um, so what happened with it? Looks like it's so been- it, it. My understanding is it incorporates. Um, a couple. Of, you know, do, do you recall seeing those pictures of like the old CN electrified commuter lines? No. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like, like, like. Remember, they bought the same locomotives that um. Uh, that New Jersey Transit bought, like the dual modes. Oh, okay, got ya. So uh, my understanding is that was for one of these electrified commuter lines um so essentially what they did is they took a couple commuter lines it, it, it's a it's a it's right out of the playbook of paris where where the rer in paris basically you take two two commuter lines on your side of the city you train you build a tunnel between them in the center city and you make a, like a more rapid transit style service that's like a hybrid between between uh, traditional commuter service and like a subway so in this case, they took this one, uh, which is a line that I think goes out of, ooh, gosh. The Du Montage's line, for those who aren't looking at the thing, which is literally everyone but Everyone, yeah. Yes. They took Two that, they took line. it out of service and then basically had that link up. It, go, it still goes, it goes to the center of the city and then it pops out on another line on the other side. Um which is pretty cool. So basically they, they took some existing infrastructure, they tried to optimize it, and then uh, connected it with a, a couple other lines. But it's, it's a pretty transformative oh, okay. pretty transformative uh, project for them. Because you can see it's, it's kind of a regional project where it's going to provide high you know relatively high-speed, high-frequency, efficient service for a big geographic region around Montreal. And I'm not an expert in Montreal, so I can't quite say... Uh, so it's it's very different than Montreal Metro, which is mostly the rubber tired kind of brutalist architecture. This one has all platform screen doors, um, very modern stations. So, which is you know the platform screen doors is going to be great for Montreal because it allows you to have a somewhat climate controlled station platform, which is awesome. Mm. Which is, yeah, it's freaking cold up there, so that makes a lot of sense. It's also safer. I think I'm a big proponent of platform screen doors, even though. Maybe it lessens the rail fan experience because you don't get as good of a shot of a train, but it makes the service better. Because I, I can't tell you how many times you see on you know popular services that the whole thing goes down because there's a trespasser incident. You guys know what that means, um, or maybe there's trash that gets on the track and it mm. caught, catches on fire. Um, so having the platform screen doors is gonna is a game changer. And in 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 Asia, it's like that's the standard. You know, they have that. It, it the signaling system works like line up the doors every time it's just, this is not like a hard thing it's takes coordination takes some effort takes some money but uh has some big benefits so i think it's it allows you also to automate the system so you don't need engineers right um so a lot of benefits to that 
So that's an exciting project. Very modern. Um, and cool. on the totally other end of this, we got Fort Wayne with some big news. Oh, did you want me to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, you got this, yeah. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, what is it? The Fort Wayne Historical Railroad Society? What is it? What that are they? The guys, right, yeah. the guys that operate uh, 765. Um, they just purchased, I think it was six or seven, um, uh, former New York Central Empire State Express passenger cars. Um, who owned them before? Do we remember that? I think it was like something in Rochester. Um, I don't know if it was like the Genesee and whatever. Yeah, it might have been. Was it them? Here, you Google it and I'll talk. Uh, (laughs) um, But yeah, the the they so it's kind of really cool that they'll have a really like nice matching set to go with 765 uh, when they're done with it. So I'm excited about it. I think it's like six or seven cars. Did you figure it out yet, Danny, or did you Google foo it? I'm looking for it. Read the press release. There you go. Read the press release. New York, uh, Rochester. Yeah, the Rochester and Genesee Valley Railroad Museum. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I'm excited to see those happen. I know Danny's probably really excited about them because he loves New York Central. Um, it's a little bit Although he would love me. them to be pulled by a Hudson, we know. <laughs> yeah, so on their image, they're, they're, very, they're, they're teasing it a little bit because, like, it's it's pretty impressive because they've got that classic image of the Empire State Express, which was essentially the Dreyfus stainless steel version of, in terms of streamlining of the 20th Century Limited, but it's like a bud consist, right? Um, so he changed the design to complement the bud cars made in Philadelphia out of stainless steel. And so there's this classic image of this Hudson pulling this matching stainless steel train set on the Hudson. And it, I think they've got, like looking at that image, they've got like the baggage car i think they've got a couple of the coaches like they really almost have the whole thing were they able to get an observation car for i don't think there's an observation be, car it looked like they were mostly cool. coaches yeah um maybe they'll be involved. able to find a, but a lot of them also got there. converted into commuter cars in like the 60s yeah so i don't know how much of like the original stuff is in them and to you know they'll have to re- probably redo a lot of that to make them opulent and stuff again yeah and, and but of the they also look like they were all kind of just the standard coach ones which I think, Danny, you're probably a little more familiar with yeah, what the, the standard it, coach accommodations were on the Empire State. Yeah, the Empire State Express was, was a was a day train, my understanding. So it wasn't Pullman. Um, so you, mm. at least that was my understanding. Because um, it went to Buffalo and or Cleveland. Um, I don't know. You're my, you're my oh, New York man, Central I should really, guy, yeah, so I, I should. Sure, but anyway, I, my understanding, it's not really like a Pullman. It wasn't as much of a Pullman train as a 20, 20th Century Limited. So the 20th Century Limited, almost all the stock was actually owned by Pullman, not by mm. the New York Central, or at least they maybe were releasing it or something. Only a couple of the coaches were actually owned by New York Central proper. So that's like the RPO, mm. the railroad post office, um, the dining yeah. car, and the lounge. Like the ones that didn't have any sleeping sleeping accommodations on it, those were owned by New York Central. All the other ones were actually by Pullman. So that's why if you like look at Hickory Creek, which is the the, the Pullman twentieth uh, century 1940, forty eight car that the New Jersey Historical Railway Historic I always get the name wrong, but the the New Jersey chapter of the Railway Historical Society, or they have that. Um, so it says Pullman on it, not New York Central on it. At least I'm pretty sure it does. Hmm. Um, really? That's that's because. Yeah, I'm actually. I could I could check my um, Hickory Creek. Hickory Creek. 
pretty sure it's we his all pick. are googling. Yeah, let's Google it. United Railroad Historical Society of New Jersey, by the way. There we go. So Pullman. We yeah, see it says Pullman. Doesn't say New York Central. That's interesting because the photo they have on top says New York Central. Where? Like if you go to the United Railroad Historical Society of New so, Jersey's website. So see these two see these two images? So this one says Pullman. Yeah. So yeah the, and this one says New York Central, right? So this is yeah. clearly the period one. What happened is at a certain point, Pullman more or less went out of business and mm. or the the lease was up and then the ownership reverted to New York, to Central. New York Central. So then they got mm. to put their name at the top of it. So depending on what era it was, it would either say New York Central or Pullman. But in the the prime era, like when people were still taking the train and it wasn't like falling apart. It was Pullman. It was mm. like Pullman. Yeah. Interesting. So there's a little bit. Look of, at that. Learn something today. Learning something. It's almost Learning. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so, but my understanding is because a lot of these were coach cars, they would say New York Central at the top, not Pullman. Um, mm, makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, uh, pretty neat that they're putting together a full consist. That's, And uh, when I say bittersweet is that I'm very interested in the history of the 20th Century Limited, but that that train was outfitted by Pullman, Pullman Standard, um, not the Bud Company, just a couple years before this. So the one I'm interested in is the 1938 20th Century Limited, um, which has the beautiful color scheme with the lighter grays and even the blue little blue band on it, which I think is probably the most attractive train ever made. The problem with that and the bittersweet thing here, the problem with the Pullman cars, they're all just regular steel, and they weren't designed, none of these cars really were designed to last long like they're a commodity item that was meant to be used and then eventually scrapped and you make another one right because just like a plane right you use it for mm-hmm. a certain amount of time and it's when it's useful it's scrapped it goes somewhere else um and so they're because it's standard steel it rusts the whole thing ends up falling apart and it becomes less valuable and a lot of most of them got scrapped right the nice thing with the bud cars is that they're all stainless steel and it's almost like they built them too well that they made themselves go out of business where you didn't need to buy any more. They lasted in regular commuter service like told not that long ago. Um, yeah. So that's why the Bud cars are around. And that's probably why they elected to buy them is that they're super durable. Like the the uh, Via Rail is still using the original like 1950s consist from the Bud company for the Canadian. So it's been oh my gosh, is that like almost 70 years that they've been yeah. running the same coaches and they're able to just make them run? Because yeah, it's crazy. I'm looking at these coaches steel. now. They're all for built in 1941. Yeah, so they, uh, they're all still going strong, whereas for all the Pullman-built ones, which have a different aesthetic, they're all mostly gone now. Um, and I, I you know, really tried to save a couple of them, but, you know, you can scream into a void. It's not going to change what happens. Um, exactly. So it's Look. a little bittersweet, but it's really nice that they're, I mean, they're real professionals in this, and and you know you're you're not throwing money, you're not throwing good money away supporting that because that's Bud stainless steel. That stuff lasts forever. Um, so they're able to fix those up. Those will be cars they can use, really, until the wheels yeah, fall off. Like six, <laughs> six coach cars and one RPO. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the RPO. That's really cool. That still exists. Um, and I guess are they going to turn that into generator cars? My guess. I don't know. Um, we'll find out, I guess. I'm not they sure. They gotta find find a uh, find an observation car. That'll be pretty neat. 
Well, I guess they could just bring Hickory Creek on it, even though it won't necessarily match. Yeah, it won't really match. Uh, but uh, in, in the later eras of the 20th Century Limited, they certainly had stainless steel cars because at that point they yeah. were losing so much money they didn't care what kind of cars were on it. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Truthfully, so that, there's enough. I feel like there's enough like observation cars out there that people have and random ones that are like, oh yeah, we'll yeah. tag that on the back and that you know. Get yeah, there's, a and, and, more and there's uh there are stainless steels one out there too. Yeah. So. So, so that's that was a big big news news that dropped in. Um, that was relatively recent. That was actually this was like actually this week recent. versus a lot of these yeah. which were like months ago. Yeah. Um, so, and the other one. All right, is, let's uh, try to get banged through these quickly, or else this podcast is just yeah. going to be about news. So six eleven, find found found a place to operate in. The oh yeah, we're going to talk about this for branch. a while, aren't we? Um, <laughs> yeah, in the Buckingham branch, which which is uh, in the Shenandoah Valley, which is very exciting, and um, is interesting in sort of the contrast you can put between them and the Fort Wayne folks, um, just in terms of. You know, the nice thing with Fort Wayne is they've got a very stable engine that they've been able to find stable places to run it for a long time, so much that they're able to invest in the rolling stock that goes with it. Um, whereas for 611, is like basically found a place that doesn't have any infrastructure for it, and they're just having to cobble together a bunch of cars, which is totally fine. That's kind of the traditional way that these sort of things happen. But I think they found a really nice branch and bit of railroad. Yeah, and I'm on. hoping that they they as you said, I think they I'm hoping that they'll invest in that because it's actually it's I think only about like two hours outside of Roanoke, which is pretty yeah. close, you know, yeah. for you know, and for keeping it in Virginia in some way, it'd be a great home base for it. I think. Yeah, um, and, and the thing is, is that there is a lot. There's there's a decent amount of original Norfolk and Western equipment out there that theoretically, if someone had the money, they could you could try to assemble like. A, a Pocahontas set or something like that. Like I know there's there's at least one observation car hanging out. NS had a bunch of nice looking coaches that they recently sold, I think actually. So I don't know where those ended up, but mm. they're out there. It'd be really nice to see like a matching set behind uh, a streamlined steam locomotive. It would be pretty cool. That would but, be really cool, and because that yeah. would be literally like what it was designed to do. You yeah. Know, if if it had the, the the matching set of cars. Yeah. I don't know what kind. Of, I think they have like a couple, bi levels, double deckers. Yeah, and it looked like the, yeah, it looked, looked like they. There's a few like bi levels from Chicago. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, I think there's some other cars. As I said, it should be. I'm I'm excited to go. I'm hoping to go see it, but I don't know. Fall's always tough. Yeah, and, um, and thinking about, I was talking. So we saw Reading and Northern 2102 fairly recently, and when I was we were out there, I ran into some folks that were from Virginia, from Winchester, and. Interestingly enough, you know, I was like, say, hey, you know, 611 is coming towards you guys, uh, the Buckingham branch. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's like pretty close by. Uh, and, again, and I was like, you guys excited? And what their response was, was, yeah, it's great. It's going to be great to ride. Unfortunately, that route is unchaseable, which hmm. is a little unfortunate. So, I mean, that was the first time I actually encountered that terminology of being like, of a route being chaseable or unchaseable, which maybe we'll get into later. Um, but, Maybe it's a good segue, actually. But I, from what it, my understanding is that there's not that many roads around it to be able to get in front of the steam engine. And if the track speed's reasonable, oftentimes out there the train has the, the best right-of-way because it was built first. Um, so you might not be able – you might get one shot, and that's it, of, of the train. Yeah. Um, it's not as unchaseable as certain train railroads that, you know, <laughs> uh, we're talking, we were looking at the – 
Wissahickett, yes. Waterville, and Farmington Railway. Yeah, I'm heading uh, up there. You're going to head up there in a few few days. In a few days, yeah. And I'm yeah. pretty excited to see that. It's a, a real nice piece of history they've got. But I was looking there. at that, like, oh yeah, there's like no way to see it. Yeah. There's not a real good ways to see it without hiking in. So I was hoping, uh, yeah, and I was hoping to. So uh, some folks are running a uh, a photo charter, which, frankly, retrospect, that would probably be the thing to do. Yeah. However, it just does not match up with my schedule at all. So. You know, I'm gonna have to go up there. I'm gonna experience the railroad. We'll see what's up. Um, maybe they'll be nice and be like, "Yeah, you can just hop off the train here. We'll pick you up on the way back." Yeah, you never know. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. But uh, let's see here. So while Danny was talking about, um, you know, possibly you know making something chasing unchaseable, let's talk about what we're actually gonna talk about. Um, well, actually, I guess let's uh, pause for a break. Welcome back. Now we're getting into the anatomy of a chase, how we plan a chase. You really like using the anatomy of it. I'm just going to go with how we plan a chase. What are the pieces of it? So, um, so what we do generally, so what I, I usually like planning our chases. Well, I guess so, I just so what kinda, is involved in a chase? Like maybe some, you, some folks, basically I guess the idea of it is that there's a train going from point A to point B and often back to point A. Um, and the idea is to try to follow the train, right, and encounter it as productively as possible for whatever your purposes are. That yeah, purpose could just be like hanging out and saying hi to the train. Like we did that as kids. That's what we did all the time. It could be maybe you're doing videos, maybe you're doing photos, but uh, that's what the chase is, is it trying to just encounter the train as, as best you can. Yeah. So basically. It's kind of exhilarating. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's fun. That's why we do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you, know, you also, like, you capture video, do photos of it, or you just, you know, chase the train. Um, so but, I guess th- that's my number one rule is, is you should think about what your purpose is and what you're trying to optimize. You know, like, are you doing photos or are you doing video or are you doing both? Do you just want to see the train as many times? Do you just want to hang out in a place and talk to people and then the train goes by? I think that's an important thing to think about when you're trying to plan these things out is like what what kind of event are you trying to have? You're also getting way ahead of things, Danny. Oh, is that is that later on? Do we Probably, because first you need to figure out where that you're going. Oh, where the place? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and figure out the date and time. It's almost like you had this all planned out or something. <laughs> it is. Um, but no, that's a good way of putting it, like, you know, telling people what a chase is. So generally when you're doing these things um, – I like to overall just uh, figure out, you know, do some general research on the railroad. If I haven't been there before, uh, kind of look at, you know, do some Googling. First of all, look at their website, look at the, go on Google Maps, figure out where there it is, um, that kind of thing. And you want to first figure out, you know, hey, what is your date and time? When are you going? Are you going next week? Um, are you going to go, What are you going to chase it? Which And also figure out when the train is running. So you need to uh, go on their website, figure out what their schedule is. Sometimes some of these railroads are only one, running once a day. If you look at the um, Wilmington and Western, that's a railroad that only runs once a day, typically. Uh, so round you trip, get to be clear. One there, trip, yeah. yeah. One one round trip. So it's going one tri- one time up the mountain, one time down the mountain. So you get basically one – you might only get one time to get it if the train's moving fast. Um, yeah, so definitely versus look at, some look other at railroads schedule. that are around us – 
like the New Hope and Ivy Land, which typically is running like three or four or five, possibly even six trains a day going round trips a day. Um, so and, when, and in, in trying to figure out these date and times, a couple things to think about is one, they have a published schedule typically. Uh, and they also kind of have an unpublished schedule, which is that there's a whole uh, sort of sub industry of people that do private charters for photos and for events that uh, you might be able to take advantage of. And if you go for one of these photo charters is that you don't really have to plan the chase. You, you, you know, pay a fee, you get a ticket and they figure the whole thing out for you. So that's kind of, that's what you're paying for when you do one of those. And and we actually haven't done one yet. And no, not yet. Also, it's generally frowned upon to chase one of those without paying for it. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to put that out there. If you're doing that, you usually should pay for it. You should pay for it. Like that, that they're usually setting up things nice for you. Um, it's one thing if it's completely sold out, but even then it's like, Hey guys, come on. Like, um, like, especially if it's like a specifically a photo charter, like you try to like, you know, Hey, people set that up, put time into it, made them pull the freight cars, you know, that kind of thing. And yeah. There's Uh, costs associated with that. There's costs associated with that. And it costs the railroad. And I guess that's that brings up like the ethical question of if you chase and then don't ride the train, you know what, what do you do? Um, I guess my my thought is you. You really don't want me to get through this, do you? You donate some money if you're not riding the train, right? <laughs> you, you try to. Yeah. Okay. So here we go. I'm like, so. you really just don't want me to get through this. You're just like, nah. I'm gonna. T- I'm just gonna blather about something. I love talking. I know. Um. Nothing. But no, it's a good point. It's like, you know, and usually I'm a big fan of, hey, you try to ride the train and then chase it or go something like that. And that's truthfully one of the things you can do to help yourself when you're doing one of these is ride the train first. It gives you an idea of like what's going to be around. What Oh, that's an interesting spot that you didn't spot. But once again, we're getting way further along than we were. So, uh, uh, so yeah, so then the, the length of the ride is a whole other thing where, you know, 2102, when it goes out from – from Reading, that's an all-day event, right? Yeah, it's a hundred miles round trip. It's a, yeah, and um, so they're, it's a long ways, and they only do that like once a month now. So, it, it, you know, you're not. It, it, unfortunately, previous years, you you would it with uh, four and a quarter, you'd be able to like ride it one day of the weekend, and you can chase the next. You can make a weekend out of it, stay in a hotel or something. A little bit more difficult in that case. So you really need to plan out these things uh, if you're very serious about your chasing. Of course, you can just totally wing it and show up and be like, oh, there's a train, which is also fun. Yeah. Um, as I said, there's all the different ways to do it. This is my way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, as I said, I like to plan it and try to figure it out. So, like as I said, trying to figure out how long the route is. So, um, and you need to determine what the route is. So, like, how long is that ride? Is that ride um, – one of the things you can do is a lot of times they don't tell you exactly, hey, where the train is necessarily going to end or, like, what – speed they're going you can try to guess at it by being like okay if they told me the end spot is here and the it's going to be an hour ride and it's only three miles long you can probably guess the train's going to be going pretty slow um if they're doing 50 miles in three hours you're probably going to be talking about doing typically 30 miles an hour the whole way so that's going to matter how much you need to get ahead of the the train to find it again (laughs) to set up and yeah, Google um, Earth is your friend here. Any kind yeah. of GIS stuff you have is is gonna really help. Uh, yeah, and so the it, other interesting part here is you need to figure out, think about how fast the traffic is gonna be versus that train. So it's one thing if the train's only going 
if the train's only going 30 miles an hour, but if you're on a 30 mile an hour road next to it, you really don't want to be speeding. You can get pulled over and it's dangerous. Yeah. Um, if there's a big highway next to you, the 65 mile an hour highway and it's doing 30, you could probably jump ahead of it pretty easily. Uh, <laughs> and, and unfortunately, th- some of these things you can you can plan infinitely for them, and they'll you'll you'll show up the day of, and it just it doesn't go to plan. So you got to think about backups and where you can cut your losses to try to get back in front of the train to kind of see it. Yeah. So as uh, I said, these are all things to think about and try to like find out some yeah. of the information online before you go uh, really digging into it. So like, uh, also think about the weather. Like you want to think about just like, you know, Hey, once it gets close to it, you want to be like, Hey, is it going to be raining? Is it not going to be raining? Is it going to be cloudy? Is it going to be sunny? That's going to affect pictures and stuff. Um, but basically by this time you're done, you know, you kind of done some general Googling on stuff. Then you're like, okay, I'm going to go open up Google maps, you know, and really get this. So what I do is in Google maps, there is a way to make a saved map and plot points along it. Um, what you do is if you're in just regular Google Maps, I'm going to bring it up myself so then I make sure I'm going through it for you. So if you're on your computer on regular Google Maps, if you click on the left side where there's those like three lines at the very top, it brings up a menu, you can go to saved and then go to maps. And then you can say create a map on the bottom. And for me, I see a bunch of saved maps because I made them. So then you hit create a map. And then you get a map of the United States, typically, if you're United States. I don't know if it goes somewhere else if you're somewhere else. But, and then you can maneuver into the place that you want to go. So, with that, what you can do then is actually plot little points along the railroad. So first, now you're going to go find the railroad, wherever you're going. So where, are you going to the Reading and Northern? Are you going to New Hope and Ivy Land? Are you going down to Virginia to C611? Um, you're going to go find where that railroad is. So as I said <laughs> from previously, you figured out already where it's starting, where it's going. You know, you figured that out already by Googling. Um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, Google does a pretty good job of having the actual railroads in, in the map. Exactly. Um, it's so, usually pretty up to date in terms of what are what tracks are in service, which ones. Are yeah, working. and so then what I like doing is that I will then follow the line and I will actually plot a point. So what you can do is when you're in that little my maps thing, you can actually go, and if you see under like the search bar thing, there's a thing that says add marker. It looks like a little like kind of upside down teardrop. And you can plot, put that anywhere on your map. And this is what you're going to do. You're going to go through and follow the line through. And I like to put it on pretty much every grade crossing between the two points you're going to chase. Um, and that's my first step. It's kind of comp- it's a time-consuming process, but it really gets you to like know the track plan of the thing. As you said, you just follow the track in Google. I usually like to actually have two maps open because in the map one that you're in, they don't, really sh- they don't show you the... Um, uh, the satellite view, which is very helpful when you're trying to figure out, is there going to be a trees in front of me and stuff like that? <laughs> mm. Um, so I usually like to have regular Google maps open right next to it in the next tab. Um, and then you can also, then if you're interested in an area, usually drop your Google street view buddy, which if you're in the regular map, it's on the bottom right, and it looks like a little guy. Mine's a little yellow guy. And you can usually drop that anywhere that's been a street view car go through, so most major roads. 
and a lot of minor ones. But sadly, a lot of the places that we track trains are kind of not very pop in the very populated area. So you're not going to see it, especially if it's like it's not going down somebody's driveway. It's not going to do that. But this way you can kind of see from the road. All right. I can see the track there at least some point. Let's say I'm right now looking at this part in Virginia along 611. It's like, okay, I can see the, the track from the road here. Uh, there's not enough trees in the way that it's going to matter that much, or, you know, at least I can get some kind of a shot. But as I said, I'll go through and uh, mark every single grade crossing in there, which, you know, if it's a smaller railroad, it's not usually that hard. You're going to be talking about maybe like 10 grade crossings. Uh, if it's a big railroad, like <laughs> chasing the Reading and Northern for 100 miles or 50 miles, there's a lot of them. <laughs> um, so, uh, I'll go there, put that in street view. And I'll also mark other areas that I think might be interesting as I go. As I said, I'm looking at the two maps. It's like, Hey, there's a cool trestle there. I might want to get a photo of it. Oh, there looks like there might be a shot across a field here. I'll put a marker there. Um, then I will go and go, um, start to do more research on these different things. As I said, I'll usually do Google street view at each one of these and try to mark it out. I usually have to like name them something. Uh, you know, name them just basically whatever the street name is, uh, that's crossing. So I know what it is. Um, and the cool thing is, is that later on, this is going to be good. You can actually bring this up in your Google maps app on your phone. So you can just literally when you're in your car, if you can find this part in the Google apps, cause they keep burying it more and more. Um, <laughs> Dan had a problem, uh, last week. <laughs> um, they will actually, uh, you can actually put it in and then just tell your car, hey, I'm going here. Uh, and it makes it really easy to be like, hey, we're going to this area. Even if you're trying to meet somebody there, it's like, oh, I'm going to this this intersection. I'm going to Dock Road. Pfft, done. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really great resource uh, to, to be able to figure yeah. it out. And the, and the other great thing with it is you can, Billy does this great thing where he'll then start to organize them in different colors based on the outing that you're doing. Oh, yeah, I'm not even there yet. I'm not even there yet. Oh, you're not even, holy hell. No, there's more to this, Danny. Uh, (laughs) So then I'll start researching a lot of these things. Like, you know, I'll just put it on, like, railpictures.net or Flickr. I'll put in the railroad. I'll try to find other, put in YouTube, get YouTube videos of the railroad and see what other people's shots have been and see if they've been able to get shots at different spots. Um, And if they're there and... um, Usually I'm not sharing these with any, I'm not sharing with these with anybody. So usually what I'll do is you can actually make a link in that little dot you did to rail pictures or Flickr uh, with the photo and you can link it there. And then, so when you bring it up, you can see a photo there of what you're trying to like of somebody else's that did it. And you're like, okay, that's what it looks like there with a train. <laughs> yeah. This could be really insightful for thinking about yeah. time of day. I like to usually weather. go back afterward and actually put in my own photos into it just so then I'm like, Oh yeah, no, I've done yeah, this I've one. Done I remember one, yeah. that's that, that spot. Yeah. Um, but I'm also kind of crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but as I said, I like to kind of like look through and be like, Hey, this is this shot from, and I'll try, basically it's just a reference shot. So you can see, um, and as I said, you just kind of put it in there as a link. Um, 
So then you get to the part where you're like, after you've gone through all this research of like, hey, going through each individual crossing and like, or like, you know, try to not necessarily each individual one, but like, hey, if you find stuff on realpictures.net, usually they give you some kind of like, hey, it's at this crossing or YouTube, it's at this crossing. Yeah. Flickr, you know, it's sometimes hit or miss, but you can, you, you can do it, you know, and sometimes even Facebook and stuff as well, but you can't really link to those as easily. Yeah. And it's sort of next level that you're getting to is trying to look at it. Because, you know, the crossings can get you only so far, right? Because there's a lot of other shots you can get. Yeah, exactly. You can get and as I said, shots, you, yeah. can, you, can, you can, you know, go through the woods to get a shot or something like that, that you might want to go into Google Earth to be able to see the terrain in 3D if there is terrain to see what kind mm-hmm. of places you can, you can get to easily that you might get a, a shot that you didn't think you would have. And this is something that happened to me in Scotland is that, I found out that just driving up and down this road is basically you get a shot like anywhere. And I was like looking at all these rocks and stuff I could go on that I didn't just by looking at a map, you wouldn't keep in mind that's more legal in Scotland than it actually is here. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. There's there's the right to roam, I believe in Scotland. And here you have the right to get your ass shot. Uh, (laughs) So I always am kind of be careful on those ways. And also, you know, if you're on the right of way, obviously don't be on the right of way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and don't do uh, don't do anything stupid. Don't block traffic. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's always things you have to think about too. But so then after you've done your research, you can go, you can then look and be like, all right, which shots do I want to try for this time? Um, as I said, you want to look at the time of day you're going, the time of the year. Okay. Is there going to be snow? Is there going to be? Is it going to be? Is there going to be flowers? Is the are the trees going to be bare? Are they going to have a bunch of leaves on it? There's going to be different kinds of tr- shots you can get. Yeah, and I think uh, this is a good time to think about what your goals are in general. Because before you can select what kind of shots you want, you really want to think about what the purpose of this trip is. Um, you know, are you mainly? And when that comes to YouTube? Danny, it's always one thing. <laughs> it's stack talk. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. So, so for me, I have a very specific thing I'm looking for, which is to hear the locomotive working really hard. And that makes it so lighting isn't as important to me. Um, so and, this is and, sacrilegious to me, by the way. When he <laughs> says this, I do not agree with any of this at all. Yeah. So I'm taking videos, really, uh, and audio, and and so you still need a, to make them look good, Danny. Yeah. So I'm I'm interested in composition, right? But having lighting is part of it. Yeah. So so Billy is very much in the photo realm where you can't hear the photo, right? But sometimes the photos can sort of you can. They're so powerful you can hear them through the through the paper, but uh, you know Billy's posted to railroadpictures.net for a long, long time, and I've actually are, stopped doing that basically now. Yeah, and and they have like a whole criteria to apply, and if you have like a little bit of shadow on the front of the engine, they're like, no, 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 this is bad, and just I don't know, I I, I find that kind of rhetoric to be um, unproductive to to the um, the. So the expression and creativity of of rail fans out there. So, uh, so I, I am, as I said, not as interested in perfect lighting. I'm interested in the stack talk. So the other thing I need to look for, in addition to actually finding locations where I can see the train, is understanding what the gradients of the train are, uh, and, and and where the hills are in the track. Um, and so it's a lot easier to determine that for roads because roads can go up very steep grades, but trains can only go up relatively gentle grades because it's steel and steel right so like two percent for a train is a lot but for a car that's like nothing yeah Um, and also sometimes it's hard to find the the gradient maps 
of the yeah. So there are for certain railroads, there are gradient maps you can find online, or maybe published in books somewhere if you're able to get some old kind of charts for a, a train. But oftentimes they're not published, and um, it's difficult to tell. But in Google Earth and Google Maps, uh, you can hover your uh, cursor over a particular feature, and it'll report back the elevation of that particular element. Uh, so you can do a little bit of research and, and kind of pick a couple areas along it and try to figure out where the, the summit of the line is. And then from that, you can kind of figure out, well, if it's going this way and that's the highest point in the line, it's going to be working hard this way up the hill and it's going to be... Does that actually work a, for the railroads or does that only work for Yeah, those? I mean, it does because if you think it's even though it's a 2% grade, if that's over miles and miles, you that that... That will be a significant because admittedly change. I've never done that when I'm doing these. So oh well, yeah, okay. so I do yeah. that too. So that's, oh, okay. that's the that, and and I don't necessarily need to to put the points on there because for most of these lines there's going to be only one major summit. At least that's what I found, and so you don't need to like as long as you know where that is, you can kind of guess. You can relatively accurately figure out where the upgrade and where the downgrade is going to be for for your your line. So like for the Reading and Northern. From Jim Thorpe to to Reading, that's roughly Hawks uh, interlocking is is the high point in the line. If so you can't tell, we've cased them a lot in the last yeah. like <laughs> year and a half for some and then reason. Even, and then even for for uh, East Broadtop, there's a very subtle grade, right? And when we were able to figure out actually where the summit was to try to figure out which way it was working hard. Now the thing is with that is like it's basically flat. Like it's maybe 20 feet it goes up and 20 feet it goes down. But for Reading and Northern, it's quite obvious. It's you know, maybe a couple hundred feet it's going up and down. Um, and so that's where, you know, Google Earth is pretty accurate, but it's not that accurate. It's maybe a couple meters, maybe six feet plus minus. So for small gradient changes, it's not going to be that good. But for, you know, wide sweeping ones, yeah. it, you can you can hover over it and do a little bit of math and figure out where the high point is. Gotcha. So that's what uh, I like to do. Other things to look for, S-curves. Uh, makes for an interesting shot, especially on video. Danny likes that. Yeah, because um, it's that curves that. always gives you an interesting kind of look to it. Um, wide open plains. They're not like uh, anybody out west is going to be like, yeah, that's just everywhere. Um, over us, the East Coast, we're you know they're rare <laughs> on these scenic scenic lines. So like you know, there's there could be like, oh yeah, there's that one field shot. And you also have to make sure that, like, hey, if it's a certain time of year, the corn's going to be really high or the wheat's going to be really high and you're not going to see the train. Yeah, it's a classic um, thing for Strasbourg, like, depending on what exact – yeah, how, how the harvest is going uh, yeah. will definitely affect how where, – where the where you can get good shots. Yeah. Other thing to look for and, you know, and as I said, I usually am trying to, like, mark those and you can make little notes on them and stuff like that. Um, so then you can remind yourself when you're making that map. Um, and then interesting places, backgrounds, foregrounds, bridges, that kind of thing. Um, bridges, buildings, stations, you know, that kind of stuff that, you know, that, you know, can give you a little bit more to it. Uh, I know there's like, you know, oh, or like if there's an old beat up car sitting in a field somewhere. Yeah, I want to get that in the foreground, you know, that kind of stuff. If you can find that and like find that in other things, you want to you know, make a little note of that for yourself and be like, hey, is that a thing you want to look at? And then you also want to look at the time of day. It's also very important. Danny doesn't give lighting. a crap about this. Uh, <laughs> as long as I can see the train. <laughs> lighting is very important. Um, at least to know where it is. Um, and what I find is there is an app. on your. You can get it on your phone or you can get it on your computer. It's called the Photographer's Ephemus 
I have no idea if that's actually being pronounced right. I'm going to spell it for you. E-P-H-E-M-E-R-I-S. It brings up a map, and you can plug in a... You can put it into anywhere on Earth, and you can put in the exact day and time, and it'll tell you where the moon is, where the sun is, where which the, where the sun's angle is going to be, uh, what sunset and sunrise is going to be, and it'll tell you where the sun is at that exact time. Um, I do this with like, I've done this with landscape photography and stuff like that, not just trains. And you can be like, okay, this is going to be on this day that the sun at this time, when I think the train's going to pass by is going to be, you know, in front of the train or behind the train or something like that. So then I know which spots we'll get a good shot on. Um, as I said, you can go crazy with it. I love using that thing. It's fun. Um, but as I said, it's a great little tool to be like, hey, you can figure it, you know, obviously you always know like, hey, the, you know, uh, it's in the beginning of the day, it's going to be on the east side and the end of the day, it's going to be in the west side. And generally it's always in the south. But like sometimes if you're like, hey, I'm trying to get that golden hour, you can figure that exactly where that's going to be <laughs> and right where that light's going to be. Yeah, so, and I guess, uh, again, I, I'm going to reinforce that thinking about what your purposes are for this chase is really important to figure out what your priorities are. Yeah. And Danny always makes his the priority. Let's get this clear. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, think if you have a bunch of kids, like you probably don't really care about most of the stuff. You just want to see the train. So just getting as, but if you want to get a good photo at golden hour of a train and you want to be be a very specific time. Yeah. And that's what I'm making all this stuff for. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then, and, um, and I guess also thinking about how much equipment you have, is another thing to think about where, you know, if you have a very light, if you're only doing photos, which Billy was for just a time, he's only doing get one camera, right, for the most most part. Yeah. You could Sometimes show bring up. Two. You could show up basically as a train showing up, take a shot of the engine going by. Most people don't care about the rest of the train for photos. Hop back in the car and, and go to the next spot. Yep. Um, but if you have a more complicated rig, maybe you've got multiple cameras. Or Even just doing regular video, because usually you want to stay for the rest video, yeah. of the train. So that usually means you're gonna not you're gonna have to stay through the whole train. And if it's a freight train, that's gonna be a longer time. A long time, yeah. Then if it's you know, then just as Dan said, if it's just hey, I need to click, I need a photo of the engine, and that's it, done. Um, so and then you can get in your car and get get going quicker. So which which again goes back to like what is your purpose? Because you know maybe like looking back on it. It's a little disingenuous to just take a picture of the train of the engine and get back in the car. Mm, yeah, uh, but you know it, it's all fun because, especially in that case, you like you're you're really cutting seconds, right? And you can maybe get the next shot, and then that's where thinking about your priorities. Like, are you just there to experience the train? Are you there to document the train? Are you there to have a nice balance of the two? Are you there for video? Are you there for photography? And a lot of those overlap, but you definitely want to think about what yeah because truthfully it's like we've had it happen to us where um you know we grew up around new hope and black river and western railroad um so new hope we got very used to especially when i was just doing photos clicking you know hey i got the photo of 40 get run back into the car uh heck dan you weren't even caring about like you might i was just there to check out the train and yeah it wasn't documenting anything and then we would be able to get to a lot more spots when we were doing that then now we're doing video with two, three, sometimes crazier setups, camera, video camera setups. Um, and we can maybe like, you know, hit 
hit it maybe like twice <laughs> um, if we're lucky yeah. um, to get between it sometimes. Uh, also, depending on how far it's going and its speed. But yeah. Yeah. And then and so know, the last time we did it, I remember being like, oh, yeah, uh, I thought we had way more time. <laughs> yeah. We bring our dad along with with us. You know, that's going to change how we plan this out. Yep. Because um, more people get in and out of the car. You know, people have different mobi- mobility um, issues, I guess. Um, so that's just something to consider and, and, and try to tailor your – try to optimize your happiness here, right? Because we're, yeah. we're there to have fun and, and, you know, just see some trains and and I guess, you know, plan for the un, the unplanned and, and just go out there. And if you don't get your great shot that you're looking for, that's okay. Like like this you, – you, you hopefully got to see your train. You got to be around people that also like trains. It hopefully it was nice outside and you had a good time. And that's what it's all yeah. about. So, very last part of it, before you go out and yeah, go have fun. Usually I like to, as Dan was saying before, mark these. You can actually change the color of each one of these things. Usually I keep them as kind of like the default blue for most of this time until I start being narrowing down which ones I actually want to do. Uh, usually I'll use a color code system of like blue is just, Hey, I'll keep those there in case I need to make some kind of split second, uh, decision of like, Hey, I didn't make this one or, Hey, it looks like I could get another one. Um, okay. I don't usually ever remove them unless it looks like a completely dumb idea <laughs> yeah. or not possible even. And the great thing with that uh, is, is it allows you to be flexible and, yeah. and have your priorities in there. So that if something happens and, and maybe there's a lot more people than you expected that's chasing a train with you, um, that you can kind of figure out, okay, we're definitely not getting around all this traffic. We're just going to have to skip all this and go to this other spot. And that was something we, I mean, 2102, we have a pretty good understanding of how, what that's going to be like. Uh, but for uh, Big Boy, which I had never even been to Iowa before, it was crazy where you know, the traffic around the engine, there was one road that paralleled the tracks for most of the time. And then there's a, an interstate that was a f- few miles away. And then there were just like little back roads between them, uh, where we just had to, because there are so many people pacing the train and pacing, by the way, is like when you're in a car or a bicycle or any sort, which of is another thing. thing you can be thinking about when you're doing this. Yeah. It's like if there's a road or some sort of open right of way next to the, to the train that you can go a similar speed to the train and get a shot of the train, basically going the same speed as you. It's very dramatic, very fun shot if you can pull it off right also but can be also kind of dickish yeah because because oftentimes the train's going a different speed than the speed limit either faster or slower uh so it ends up being a problem so what happened is that you had lots of people pacing the train and you really couldn't get around them and there are hundreds of them so you had not only the people pacing the train but you had all the people who got the, the, the train it's kind of a fun situation where you can tell exactly where the train is on yeah, google maps on where google the maps like the, the you know, where the traffic area is area. <laughs> so we had to we had to like bail on a bunch of spots we were looking at and you know go on a little back road and try to get around this whole thing to get in front of it so you got to think about that think about think about uh those sort of contingency plans but yeah you don't have i mean we we do do this a lot and we kind of like doing this um so you don't have to think about that, and maybe it's okay for you. And like I said, it's a lot of it is also about your comfort level. Hey, you don't yeah. maybe you don't want to be chasing the train and going crazy on roads, you know, trying to get ahead of it. Maybe you just want to get one or two good shots. That's a perfectly a perfectly acceptable thing, and you know, probably better to you. You'll probably be able to get a better composed shot than somebody that's showing up at the very last minute. And the other <laughs> great thing about that is you show up a little bit earlier. There's probably if it's a 
if it's a, a steam engine that only runs a few times a year, likely there's going to be a lot of other rail fans out there and you can talk to them. You'll learn a lot about the place. Maybe they're from a different area. You can learn about that different area, learn about different train things coming up in the community. Uh, so that's another thing to think about is there is like a social aspect to this where, uh, you know, you can you can meet a lot of people and, and talk about trains. There's also some. Hey, before we go, you go more into the hey, and also I'm gonna finish this thought. Yeah. I color code these. I like to use green for outbound and red for inbound if it's going both ways. So then I know which mm. way it goes. It's important. So this way you know you, which way you want to be getting the engine, which hopefully you thought about. Hey, the engine is facing in this direction against the sun or towards the sun when you're thinking about these shots. All right, you can go now. <laughs> oh yeah, um, so th- you know there's, there is a social aspect to it, and yeah, I guess the other thing there's, there's some etiquette too, where you know you don't want to stand in the gauge of tracks. You you want to make sure you're a safe distance away from any moving trains. Well, they say um, you know there can be a, a train on any track at any time, so you need to be really careful out there. Make sure you don't piss people off. Uh, try not to get in other people's shots. Sometimes it's difficult and like sometimes people are almost like hiding in trees and crap and you have no idea where the hell they are but there's a photo line you know respect the photo line get in the photo line don't nudge anyone out of the way um just say hey and if, if there's any questions just say hey am i in your shot and and you know a lot of these folks are not shy about telling you if you're if they're in your shot and i guess the other thing is if you are in someone's shot and then someone yells at you don't take it personally just move out of the way you know, um, yeah, we've all done. We've all we've all there. we've all been like, oh yeah, this train, and then like, oh crap, I didn't see those people over there. Yeah, and then you know, just think about think about all the other people there who maybe they've been waiting for hours to get this shot, and um, you know, just be respectful of everyone else, be kind, and have a good time. Yeah, as I said, uh, my big thing is you know, it's obviously go have fun with it and be flexible. That's the big thing. So like, hey, you might not have gotten that shot. You might have to skip over that shot. Usually, I, like, you know, you might want to put a priority in it being like, hey, I know I want to get that shot of it going out of the station there, but I'm definitely not getting that shot that's one mile down the road. Do I want that more? Mm. Um, so prioritize those. And, you know, obviously, as long as how um, for how long you're going to be there, you can, you know, if you're going to if it's a small line and you're going to be there all day, you could probably hit every stop. If it's those, you know, one and done trains, then, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's a, a lot to there's a lot to, to learn here. And, you know, thinking about composition, thinking about time of day, thinking about um, logistics of it. I think it's all fascinating. But Yeah, as I said, I find it really fun to plan these things. Such aspects for it. Because what makes a good photo and what makes a good video, sometimes it's the same thing, but oftentimes it's different. Like one of my favorite shots ever I think would probably make a terrible picture. What I'm thinking of is there's this video that was of the doubleheader, the Strasbourg doubleheader that went went from Strasbourg to – Harrisburg and then maybe a 30th Street Station Philadelphia and back and it was either the first the opening shot or the last shot was this like dusk shot of just the headlights on the electrified main line and you just hear this amazing stack talk from the two engines and it's like slightly syncopated because there's two of them they're both working so it's not quite the same beat and you only can see like the red sunset in the headlights and I think just as a photo it'd be good but really as a video with the audio and you can see the movement of the train as it comes towards you really makes it a fantastic shot so think about what your medium is think about what your target audience is think about what you like 
And or you could just not think about all that at all and just take a photo of a train. Yeah, and just go uh, out there. Yeah, I mean, like I said, thing is, this is all what we do. This is not the only can, way to do it. This is there are plenty, and I'm sure there are be- ways we can improve this process. This is the way we like to do it. Yeah. We've done this so far. And to be um, clear, we also just use our cell phones to take pictures of trains and videos. Like it's not like we're using crazy equipment. Like this is. This I is, don't know. I've got like thousand dollar lenses, Danny. Uh, yeah, but but <laughs> I, but uh, like a lot of those videos that we have that have millions of views, they're just from a cell phone, and we just happen to be in the right place at the right time. Now yeah, that's the, that's always, the trick of it is is you know getting to the right place at the right time. And that's what this um, whole thing is about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and but what's, what's yeah, you're right. The best, it doesn't, the best camera is the one. The one they have with the, you. The one yeah. have with you. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So go fun. Go have fun. Be flexible. Um, so yeah, that's uh, I think basically all we wanted to talk about with how we plan a the chase. Anatomy of a chase. It's not like the anatomy, anatomy. It's planning a chase. We're not Brown's anat- anatomy. <laughs> I don't know why you're obsessed with the anatomy of it. We're not a. We're not. I want to release a video called Anatomy of a Chase. I, I, I would love. All to right. <laughs> all right. Uh, so. Did we want to do a break? Okay, let's do a break. All right, welcome back. Hey, we're back from a break. Back from the break. I no guess. More anatomy, anatomy class is over. Yeah, I don't know why you're obsessed with that. <laughs> I don't know why either. Uh, uh, so, so we talked about big trains. We talked about old trains. We talked about new trains. There's something we haven't talked about yet, Billy. Green trains? <laughs> That's the little trains. Ah, little trains. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So what's How what's the update? What's 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 your update with the, the So layouts? actually I have a lot I have a decent amount of things I've done this summer. Um so I was able to put in my what I call the butterfly line, which is a little back and forth, probably about twenty foot long um G gauge train that goes along the side of my house. So I have one that goes in the back. Um, that's just basically a loop of track that's like 50 foot long. That's guy called it the main line. And, you know, I can run pretty much any train on it. And this is a, um, it's got a, like a shuttle thing, the LGB shuttle thing on it. So it can just go back and forth like a trolley. Um, and use that. And I've got that reset up this year, uh, after my, uh, neighbors were doing a lot of housework. So I had to take that one down for a couple of years. Um, uh, but it's back. I'm excited about that. Looks so great. we were actually... We were actually able to have that out last week for uh, Labor Day weekend. Um, awesome. and, and do you have like an acronym for it? Like, is it the butterfly and back? I call. I, I just called the butterfly line because uh, the reason I called it that is because uh, originally I bought it. Be- I made it because uh, my wife saw in one of the videos for when we were planning our garden railroad stuff. Um, one of the uh, New York Botanical Garden videos of their train layout saw one of the little egg liners. Uh, specifically the butterfly one, and she's like, what's that? And I'm like, it's an egg liner. It's kind of not prototypical, and it's kind of, you know, not you know, that cool. There and then she's like, I love that. I want one. But do, um, do so then I found it on eBay and bought one. It's, uh, oh gosh, was it, uh, what's the big, the big Amtrak uh, passenger facility in, like, Ohio where they fix the cars? Amtrak... Uh, I don't know where you're going with this. It's it's Indiana's Beach Grove, I think. Yeah, I think Beach Grove. That sounds right. So they actually they actually made one of those where they they welded together the two ends of observation really? cars. Mm. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Look at that! Everything has a prototype. 
Did they yeah. paint it with like a butterfly it did, it or a ladybug? Did not have a butter. Yeah, a butterfly. So I bought the one that looked like a lady uh, butterfly. So and then I was like, oh, I should just get like I like I ha- I um, have a trolley. So I was like, I can just I should get a the, the little shuttle system that the uh, LGB makes. The just really basic. It's not really in any way digital. I think it, it just like works with the relays and stuff um, and a timer um, and. Um, I put it in the side and it just goes back and forth and I just called it the butterfly line. So, but I do have other things like trolleys and small trains that go on it occasionally. But, um, do you have any updates on the, the main line there? Um, I haven't really done that much with that this year. Um, it's working vaguely. (laughs) Um, right now that's a big thing. Uh, the big thing I did this year with everything is uh, if any of you are in our local area, you've heard of the spotted lantern flies, um, which are a um, invasive spe- little bug that came from, I believe, over in Asia a, f- a few years ago and kind of started in central PA and started spreading. Uh, well, they got really bad in my area for the last like two years. And um, I injected the trees with this stuff called Dinocide. And, uh, that basically wiped them out this year in my backyard. Cause they were not only getting like being all over everything that they were actually, um, excreting little like sugary stuff. Um, oh, like they were losing crapping all over the place and they were literally just crapping all over oh. the place. And it was like the sugary stuff oh. and it bound, it goes on the rails and you just couldn't like, and there was no conductivity with it. And like, you just, it, like every day you'd have to be out there scrubbing and scrubbing the rails. It was not worth it. So I was like, you know what? I'm injecting the trees. I'm getting it done. And this year they're gone. So that's basically my big thing I did with that um, for this year. So, um, yeah, I got the butterfly line. And then um, upstairs I finally put in a, uh, a little Y for the HO layout I have upstairs. So I could actually turn trains around. I did that a couple weeks ago. So. Um, still working out the bugs of that. So, but, uh, now hopefully that'll become the actual board in town. Why? So that's fun. Yeah. You got the reversing loop to work and everything. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. What do you got going? Oh boy. So I think last time we talked, I just had the two modules, right? They were painted and that was pretty much it. Yeah. So since then I have transported them into my basement. So I did a test fit. They fit They're now back in my basement where I am sort of doing, it's still kind of a prototype of it, but it's it's a, um, like a, if it works, it's going to stay permanent, if that makes any sense. Like, I'm doing some testing, thorough testing on it. Uh, so I'm working on the bottom layer, since as I add more layers to it, it'll I'll get less and less access to it, um, and trying to make sure it's like a proof of concept for my control systems and the wiring. Because uh, I want to make sure this bottom level is super bulletproof before I get going with the rest of the construction. Because hmm. um, uh, I want that much access to it. So, a couple of proof of, uh, is I want to make sure all the switches work with all of the um, the rolling stock I'm looking for. I want to make sure that all of the wiring works. I want to make sure the connections between the two uh, sort of modules and the control uh, the control panel all works. I also want to make sure that the ruling grade, which is the steepest gradient on the line, works. So basically what I have is the very bottom level. I have all the track there. I've got the switches there. Um, I'm starting to get the blocks for... Oh, by the way, so the end goal of the layout is it's supposed to be 
like a freelance NEC layout. It's going to have like three layers that um, it's going to have a four track main line. It's going to have a terminal track on the top, a through station on the bottom uh, with a loop at the top as well. So you have continuous running, but also point to point availability, but also have full uh, automatic operation available. So it's going to have block tech detection. Uh, it's obviously DCC. So that's the end goal. Um, His end so goal is a bowl of spaghetti. Yeah, it's basically, I should call it the spaghetti in Western, but uh, but we'll get there. It's also going to have kaijus and, and Gundams on it, but that's a whole different thing. But right now, basically, is a proof of concept. I've, I, I've already done the whole track work, as you may know. Like, I basically built all the track to make sure that it does work as, like, an actual railroad. And it does. I was able to get it to work. It had all the levels, but it was all, like, temporary with, like, foam holding it up. It wasn't fastened down at all. This, I'm fastening things down for this go-around. But right now, I've got the bottom in. Um, I've got the switches in. I've got enough equipment from Digitracks to basically do a proof of concept on the block detection and on the automatic control. Um, I have a proof of concept together that seems to work for the actual construction of the levels. So I'm going, if you guys are familiar with the Keylix concept in model railroading, basically it allows you to have a multi-deck railroad and there's a helix, which is just like a spiral of the train going around itself, allows you to get between these two distinct levels. Mine isn't really like that, but really the whole layout is kind of like one continuous helix. And the challenge there is that the gradients on it you need to be really careful of, because as you know, steel and steel, not a whole lot of traction. So it needs to be very gradual, very gentle, and as gradual as you can make it. Uh, so In a 5-foot by 12-foot area. Yeah, yeah. But it's N scale, right? So, um, you know, 1 to 160 for the most part. Yeah, but still it's... You know, the I'm number. Kinda, what is the, the 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 rule in railroad, model railroading is like usually like, oh yeah, you really want to avoid helixes. They're not the best thing. And Danny's like, I'm gonna make my entire railroad a helix. Yeah, I think it's. I'm kind of pushing the technology to its limits in terms of. He's going know, what, in hard mode. What what DCC is capable of? What automatic block uh, train control is capable of? And then also what the tracks already is, hates him. Yeah, and, and what the rolling stock is capable of in terms of, you know, getting a, a passenger train up a pretty reasonably steep grade. So it's about 3% in one spot. So the I think you need method, helpers. Yeah, I might actually. I would actually, if this is a bigger bigger layout, I've always loved to have a helper service. And that's actually something I, I would like to to rail fan at some point is a helper helper area. Because um, I think you I'm mean the only one I've Horseshoe Curve? Yeah, I think Horseshoe Curve is the only place I've seen that actually has the active helper service. Um, that I've seen personally. Anyway, uh, if I had a bigger layout, I would totally do that. But I don't, um, so here I am. But the the construction method is basically I'm using, if you're familiar with Unistrut for, like, hanging stuff in ceilings for HVAC equipment, et cetera, I'm basically using threaded rod with washers and nuts to uh, support the individual lay, uh, tracks uh, on basically cut plywood. So the nice thing with that is it's fairly sturdy. I was worried it wouldn't be even just with like a washer on the baseboard uh, that it would be, it would rack and go back and forth. But if I tighten everything down with the washers, it's pretty sturdy, surprisingly sturdy actually. So I'm very pleasantly surprised with that. The adjustability is, is really there. So it's basically to allow me once I get this uh, sort of, I have the first bit of the bottom level built. Uh, the last bit, once I have the sort of sidings wired up is I'm going to build a temporary turnaround at the very top of the ruling grade, so then I can really dial in that cur- the, the gradient and the curvature of it to make sure that all my trains can run up it with no problem. Um, and then that'll kind of determine the rest of the layout. Uh, but the nice thing with this, this, this method is I can, 
once I have that dial in, I can make the rest of the layout, and then if I can then fine tune it with the with the threaded rod to get all the gradients to be exactly where they need to be to be as smooth as possible on the equipment. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. It's a pretty exciting time because I finally got track back down. I I've got a bunch of stuff plugged in, so I've got got the DCC command station. I've got um, I've got a BDL 168 for block detection. I've got a DS 74. I've got actually a couple of them for to control the switches, and that all works. The uh, PS 74 did not work as planned. I was not able to get it to to do the um, the auto reversing, but I have a BXP what, whatever the hell 1A thing, and that works great. So uh, so I, I there has been a little bit of trial and error, but a lot of things going on. I'm kind of excited about it. I've got a whole like plan for how the wiring is going to work, where instead of um, like there being because it's two modules, right? So they have to connect to each other, right? Uh, and then presumably there also has to be some control things that have to plug into that as well. And basically my thought is I'll actually have a third panel that's just a control panel and then the two boards plug into the control plant panel instead of each other, uh, which I think is going to be a simpler way to do it. And that allows me to kind of keep all the sensitive electronics off the physical boards so if uh, I can put them in climate-controlled storage, and then the boards can go into non-climate controlled, and you know they won't mess up the electronics. So anyway, a lot going on with that. I'm very excited to see where it goes. Billy has me signed up for a show in November. That is, is the deadline, so I'm like stressing about that, trying to put all this stuff together. <laughs> but I'm thinking it's like like a few like like last month. I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna have this ready. I'm thinking I'll have something running. I'm thinking like it's probably a coin toss, but that's better than I, I thought it was going to be. Yeah, really, the whole reason for signing up for that show was being like, oh, this way he'll actually do it. Otherwise, <laughs> he won't do it. Needs to get a deadline. Yeah, yeah. So right, it's just like the whole basement. Just I, I have a bunch of wire. I'm like run, running out of wire. I'm learning how to solder again, or relearning how to solder rather. Um, it's been I have a bunch of wire, uh, Pops old wire here if you want to steal well, some. Well, yeah, the problem is I'm trying to actually color code it. Ah, and, yeah. And mm-hmm. the annoying thing is that, so the standard color that Digitrack recommends, I think a lot of a lot of clubs recommend, is like, you know, red and black are the main buses, right? Mm-hmm. That's what, that's like the standard. So, Kato, Unitrack, their standard connectors are blue and white. And their standard connectors to their switches are red and black. So uh, I have I'm gonna have like a weird system of coloring where it's like the main buses will be black and red and they'll be super thick, but then like the smaller gauge will kind of have a different color coding system that's aligned with. You know, it's a railroad. You don't need to follow. Those are just yeah. random I mean, I th- standards somebody frankly, made up. Like and frankly, you don't- be- yeah, yeah, be- because there's the way I have it with the block detection. There's actually going to be almost the only buses are going to go from the control unit to the block detectors and to the hmm. individual control uh, boxes, not to the actual track. And they're not really so. So really, it's all feeders that go out from there. Yeah. So it's going to be mostly the low voltage or the, the, the low like the, the like probably 18 gauge and up, not hmm. not like 18 gauge and down. That is it. If you want to come over and look in around the basement, if you want to grab anything down there. There's a whole yeah, box I mean, I've already wire. I've already run out of like 20 gauge blue and white. It's actually difficult to find the right colors, but I'm trying to be consistent mm-hmm. with it. Where it's like, you know, if these are feeder wires, they're gonna be blue and white to match the Kato. So basically, imagine Kato at this point because that's gotcha. it's a Kato Kato Unitrack system. 
And I will rec- I would recommend Kata Unitrack because I think that eliminated it's my layout is very complicated purposefully and if I had to do flex track I th- I don't think I would be I don't think I would even consider building it because it it's it's such a bulletproof system that it almost removes like one of the big headaches with track laying um, because it's a, a very robust system. It doesn't look as good, but I think it's going to perform better. Anyway, that's where hmm. I'm at. Very excited about for things to come. Yeah. Well, I think that kind of covers most of it, and I think that probably... So, we got to do our checklist. Uh, we did big trains, right? Do, do we really have to do this? We, like We did small trains, yep. Okay. Uh, did we do old trains? Like, we talked about how we were chasing and, trains. We yeah, okay, definitely okay. mentioned we, old did trains. Did we do new trains? Well, you mentioned, like, the making new trolleys, so I guess that's All right, new we're train. good. We did everything. Okay. I don't... I'm not sure if I agree to this this, <laughs> this checklist thing, um, but okay. I mean, we say at the Fine. beginning we we have to be we we have to be man, men's of our word and 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 give the give our dozens of followers what they asked for. I think we even they, have they, dozens. They they didn't ask for anything. Actually. They didn't ask for any of this. They're just like, why am I listening to this right now? Because uh, <laughs> you have nothing better to do. That's why. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or they have a lot better to do, and they're procrastinating. Uh, well, then they don't have anything better to do. All right. Well. Well, I guess we're done. We didn't come up with a funny name for this this episode, this podcast. I episode. think it's whatever your like uh, anatomy, anatomy of a chase or whatever, because I hate that. Anatomy of a chase. That's chasing, usually how we come up chase. with one of these. It's whatever I hate, and you make it that. It's not chasey chase. Oh God, no. No. No, that, that, we're going to the ma- we're going the the joke the whole time was anatomy of a chase. So just do anatomy of a Brown's chase. Brown's anatomy on chases. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> All right, and with that, anatomy of chases one hundred and one. Yeah, episode um, four. Follow us on things and like and subscribe. What are you the can follow us on, on Instagram oh. and Facebook. We've got a new shirt for 2023, for 2102, Reading 2102. Yeah, it's the same exact shirt. Danny just changed the name on the, the number on the back. He will have a daylight shirt. I will have uh, a daylight shirt. And oh, I, he, I have a American Freedom Train shirt. That one's out. Yeah. Uh, but it's funny because I, I made, I've like had this this daylight shirt forever. Like it's, And now it's been like basically a year. I've had it around. Still haven't released it, but made derivatives of it and have released that. But um, anyway. Uh, so yeah, we'll it, it looks really cool. Like there. I know my wife really wants a tank top of it, so uh, release it. Release yeah, it's on, it. It's on a sunset. I think it's a pretty cool shirt. Right? Release the daylight cut, release Danny. It. Release the daylight. All right. All right well, so like, follow like us on Facebook and Instagram at Rail. We're Rail Brothers. Um, Rail Brothers. I don't know, anywhere Instagram, else. I think YouTube. we're technically on TikTok now. TikTok. And what's the what's the thing? The new thing? Spaces. Oh, threads. Threads. That's it. Ah, uh, yeah. I stopped using that it. for a while too. Technically, uh, on it. but we'll be we having twenty one hundred two videos coming out soon, and then presumably we'll have some main stuff, main content coming out. But uh, you know, follow us. We've got a lot of interesting things going on here. Cool. Well, right. thanks guys. Thanks guys. Bye. Take this train from this rusted place.
Rusty rails, and you'll hear that lonesome whistle wail. 